Welcome to the First Intuition Podcast. On this episode, we are joined by tutor Aaron Westgate. We talk about the importance of mocks and how you should look to include them in your study and exam preparations. We recorded the session in front of a live Zoom audience, and if you'd like to join a future show, you can register for them. We've put a link in our show notes. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another First Intuition Student Forum and Podcast. My name is Ben Borman, and I'm joined again this evening by my great mate and colleague, David Malthouse. Good evening, Dave. Evening, Ben. And how's this week been for you? This week's been really, really good. I had the pleasure of your company, Dave, on Sunday. Um, myself and Dave travelled down to London. We went to the American football at the, the Tottenham Hotspur ground and had a lovely day in the October sunshine, um, watching American football, chatting about American football and some other study related stuff. And then I had the pleasure of his company when I drove us back and had a diversion down the M11 on, on Sunday afternoon. If anybody was in the, the M11 facility, uh, facility on, on Sunday evening, there was a diversion which took us about 30 miles out of our way. But it was good because I had Dave for company and we were able to have a chat. How's your week going, mate? Uh, yes, good. That, I mean, I, I was going to talk about that 30 mile diversion for the sake of roadworks that were going on for maybe 10 metres. We were diverted all the way up the M M11 to the only stretch of the M11 that doesn't seem to have a junction on it, almost all the way to, towards Newmarket and before turning us back around and coming down the other carriageway to get on to, to get a, a, across the other side of the junction that had the roadworks, which was absolutely crazy. Um, but yeah, brilliant weekend. Um, been a good week so far. So I've had a little bit of training today and um, yesterday I was took my, my weekly trip to Southend, which I, I'm going to enjoy more and more the more that I'm down there. Um, so yeah, great to be back teaching. And this weekend, we've got the, um, the kind of like double exam results, um, because we've got exam results on Friday for ICW and then ACCA at the end of the weekend on, I never know whether it's Sunday night or whether it's Monday morning um, that the exams are released. I, I think it's probably Monday morning, but it, it could be Sunday night. Yeah, I, I think they tend to historically come through in tranches. So some people get it earlier than others. They all come through within a window of a couple of hours. And I guess if you're the sort of student that sits up, you can tell me exactly when your message comes in. But if you're the sort of student that just wakes up on Monday morning and then checks, um, good luck. Really good luck for everybody getting results. Before we get on to our, our subject and our guest this evening, who I will introduce in a moment, just wanted to mark a milestone. This week, we have passed 30,000 downloads for the First Intuition Student Podcast. So thank you so much for your downloads, your support. Um, 30,000 individual downloads, Dave. What a, what a milestone to have achieved. I mean, that, that's more people than, than see kind of most championship football games. So I'm thinking about kind of capacities of stadium. I think there you're probably, you know, definitely about halfway in terms of Premier League football stadiums that you could fill with 30,000 people. So um, remarkable to think of those kind of numbers uh, of people that are listening to us, whether they're walking, running, sitting in the bath, as people have told us before or whatever they're doing. So, yeah, brilliant here. And, um, well, yeah, let, let's keep going from there. If anyone, um, I, I was going to say that our... LinkedIn episode from last week um, it is um, it, it's kind of doing some really good downloads, as is the, um, the, the one that I did last week on construction. Um, in the spirit of that LinkedIn 
um, LinkedIn podcast. If you are on LinkedIn and you're thinking tonight, well, I'd like to share something with my network, you could share the First Intuition podcast. And, and to really get that amplification, you could um, add Ben or I's name to your post and say, um, you know, that I've just been listening to the First Intuition podcast starring Dave Malthouse and Ben Bullman, and then see how far that reaches across the internet. So uh, it'll be a really good use of everything that we learned last week in terms of LinkedIn. Brilliant. Um, we've got a guest this evening. I'm going to introduce him now. Um, you are partly responsible for some of those downloads, Aaron, because you have joined us before. I looked back over the episode when you joined us previously, and I found one from February 2021. So well over a year, 18 months ago, you were with us. On that episode, you were sharing your experience of giving things back, using your financial accounting skills and your expertise there to give back. This evening, we're going to talk mock exams. But just for the benefit of listeners that didn't hear you when you were joining us last time or haven't had the pleasure of you teaching them any of the wonderful courses you deliver, I wonder if you wanted to just give a bit of an introduction for yourself to our listeners. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so I, my name's Aaron. Uh, I won't go into the last name yet. Um, I'm one of the I'm one of the tutors here at First Intuition, and also the ICAW lead. So I get to see all the results nice and early on Friday. Um, yeah, so I've background uh, was in practice, worked in um, at Deloitte, and then worked at an exam board, um, not an accounting exam board, but uh, one that does GCSEs, A levels, all that good stuff. So quite an interesting experience. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Been here a couple of years, um, lots of teaching in our in our big wave right now. So getting to do the thing that we signed up for, which is teaching students all the day. So you just mentioned the surname. Um, I'm going to I'm going to raise it. So when you joined us last time in February 2021, your name came up as Aaron Mortlock. And some of the live students, we're recording this again in front of a live Zoom audience. Thank you guys for turning out live for the session. We'll notice Aaron's logged in this evening as Aaron Westgate, although he's also logged in his phone as Aaron Mortlock. So I should introduce you now as Aaron Westgate. And anybody that's been taught by Aaron or knows Aaron will now be getting email contacts from Aaron Westgate. You got married a little while ago. First of all, many, many congratulations. Well, thank you. Thank you. And secondly, the name change. Um, talk us through it, because I think it's a really great thing. Yeah, um, me and my partner talked about it for a while. And uh, yeah, she's certainly one for great, um, I say breaking traditions, but actually, you know, she kind of just said that I really like my surname. You know, most of my family doesn't have that surname um, anymore and she'll be one of the last ones to have it. So um, yeah, she she talked to him and just said, you know, would, would you ever consider taking my surname? Um, and I just said, yeah, well, you know, I've got my surname, but um, if you feel yours is more important, then, you know, why, why does a tradition need to hold us back? So, um, yeah, I took her surname. Um, takes a bit of getting used to. Uh, hence, I've signed in. I keep forgetting which name to put in. Um, but yeah, I thought, so I've got my both my names logged in. But, yeah, that's about the story. And um, you say LinkedIn and post it on LinkedIn and see how far it gets. Um, one of my students asked me to post it on LinkedIn, so I did. And, uh, yeah, it's about 22,000 people, I think, that have um, seen it now. So, yeah, it's gone, uh, that's gone pretty far, just me telling people that I've changed their name. There we go. The power of, of viral um, content on the internet. Dave, I got married 
I didn't even consider taking Ellie, my wife's name, remiss of me. Um, you're Dave Malthouse. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I when I got um, married to my wife, I, I didn't. But then I think that if I asked Kelly about whether I should take on her surname or not, um, she would she would point out that one of the disadvantages I think that she had growing up was that because she has an Irish surname, every time she went on holiday, she would be randomly selected for a full body search whenever she went through an airport. And I think that would kind of almost put her off um, saying it might be a good idea to take her surname. Now, I, I, I'm sure that doesn't happen nowadays, but I definitely know kind of growing up in the 90s, I had friends that were in similar positions, that, that they were always the people that were called to one side when it came to kind of like custom searches and things like that, purely because of their surname. So um, I think that on that, based on that background, I think that Kelly wouldn't be, you know, volunteering that we as a family changed our name to, to that name. Well, congratulations again, Aaron, for getting married. And as much as we'd like to just stay talking about names and hearing lots more details of the wedding, we have actually got a subject this evening that we are going to be talking about. So you reached out to me when you were um, back from honeymoon and said, I've got an idea. I'd really like to come and talk to students about the importance of mocks and what we think as tutors they would be best using those mocks for and to do. And I said, great, sounds like a perfect topic area. And so here we are this evening. So shall we start with a bit of a, uh, an introduction to mock assessment? What do you think is the importance of mocks? And I know that's a broad topic area, but, but let's start breaking down why they are, I think, vital for students' preparations for the exams. Shall I go first? My um, drop. Yeah, so I think I think the why it's just it's a baseline. Um, I think people get worried that they are going to fail the first mock that they do, and that's that's it. That's you know that's that's they haven't learned anything this week or over the past few weeks. You know that nothing's gone in, and they'll think, "Oh, I'm going to fail terribly." But actually, it's the it's the baseline. It's the benchmark you use, and you compare that to how you're going to do in future. Um, yes, all mock exams are fairly different in terms of the questions, but it's a place for you to say, look, where am I at and what are my strengths and weaknesses? And now let's target some of my revision around it. So I think that's the big starting point that I see, um, which would lead us on to you know, exactly when you do that. Brilliant. Yeah, I, I think it's almost burying your head in the sand if you're not willing and prepared to confront this is what I'm going to be expected to do or something similar on the day. Now, the mock exams are unlikely to be exactly the same as the real exams, but good quality mocks try to replicate the style of question, the style of scenario, the thought process, the time. And so you would need to know that to really constructively prepare. Um, you talked about when to do them. Dave, I'm going to come to you here because I know you've got strong thoughts on this and I'm sure myself and Aaron are going to support you on them. But what's your advice to students about when is the optimum time to look to do a mock exam? I'm, I'm kind of 
based on, on everything that Aaron said, I think I'm not going to surprise you by saying as early as possible. Um, I, I think that if you are, the, the earlier you take a mock exam, the earlier you set that baseline. And when you have set that baseline, it, it tells you where you need to focus. So where, where are the areas you're weak, where are the areas that you're strong, and you've got time to do something about it. If the first time you do a mock exam is the day before the exam, it's a brilliant rehearsal. And, and it, you know, it tells you this is what the exam is going to be like and gets you, you know, maybe it removes a little bit of stress, but there's very little you can do about it if you don't know half the syllabus the night before the exam. So I, I would say as early as you possibly can. Um, I, I'm a big fan of, of kind of attempting at least mock questions, if you like, kind of as you go through the course. But as soon as you've covered all the course material, you should be doing mock exams sooner rather than later. And um, th there are some studies out there that people have looked at um, and they've looked at kind of um, schools and colleges and universities and they've said, well, if we look at students and the amount of time they spend studying and you take two equivalent students that have both spent the same amount of time studying, one's done lots of mock exams, the other has purely engaged in other revision activity but not mock exams, the people that do the mock exams score the higher marks. Okay, and, and it's, it isn't that studies have shown time and time again, there is a clear link between performance in a real exam and the amount of time you're spending doing practice questions. So for me, it's as early as possible. As I say, I would do exam questions pretty much from day one. So I'm teaching a AAT class at the moment and um, I am 25% of the way through the course and I'm setting them exam questions to do between lessons right now because they've got the syllabus knowledge to do those questions, they should be rehearsing right now. By the time they finish that course, they will be doing full mock exams to time just to start getting them ready for a revision phase. Thank you, Dave. Um, I'm going to try a bit of audience participation now. So for the podcast listeners, we've got a live group of students with us this evening and they've got access to a chat box. So thinking about the importance of mocks, I want you as students to pop into the chat box the reasons that you would think not to do them. What are the things that are holding you back? And maybe myself, Aaron and Dave can reflect on some of those in a moment once we've got some ideas in the chat box. So in the chat box, suggest to us this evening, what are some of the, the reasons that you are not doing a mock this weekend? Why are you concerned about doing one? What's holding you back? And we'll see what we can get. And hopefully we can pick up on that in a moment. But let's move the discussion forward. So for those students that have covered off the reasons why they are not doing it and have got some confidence, hopefully, to have a go at a mock this weekend, let's set the scene. Um, Aaron, first, if you were advising a student that's going to sit down this weekend and say, look, I'm going to do a mock, what should they look to do to make that mock session as constructive as possible? Do you think what are some of the tips you would share with them as a tutor? I think, um, number one, it has to be timed. Uh, I think I've seen and spoken to plenty of students who say, you know, it's two hour mock, probably spent eight hours doing it. I mean, I, I, I don't want to spend eight hours my weekend doing a mock. Um, so, you know, you want to think time value of money. I want to spend the exact time that I need in focusing and seeing what I can get in that done. Right? And that tells you a bit about the syllabus knowledge you have. It tells you a bit about how good you are at time management and splitting it up. So I think number one is timing. Um, I think there's a dependent 
question around whether you have notes close to you or not, that little teddy bear of notes, um, the course notes or, you know, previous questions you've answered. And I think that for me, you know, maybe in the early stages, you know, uh, if you're doing three or four mocks, maybe, you know, maybe you can have that. But if it's a question where it's very direct, you know, what are the three things you need to know? What are the five elements of internal controls? The only way you can see that if you don't know it is in your notes and copying and pasting it. So you, it doesn't really give you an effective result. So you're getting a result that's boosted up and then it might be a bit more inconsistent later. So, so I think timing and then um, a maybe on the notes, but it really depends on the question. I think you're right. I think what you've talked about there, we'll, we'll come back to timing in a, in a second, but the second point you made about using your notes and whether actually your answer is your own work doesn't really give you the perspective of, if I'm left to my own devices, what can I actually achieve? And it's great that you've got model answers and you can have a sneaky look. And as markers who mark mocks, we can smell a mile off if a student has had a, a sneaky look at the back and basically sent us our own model answer to remark. That's not helping you. It's certainly wasting our time as tutors because you're not getting any insight as to what your own work would mean. And I think what sometimes students fall into the trap of is combining doing the mock with actually their feedback and debrief at the same time, wait for the mock to be finished and the debrief and the marks to come through before you then start looking at the model answer and thinking, what didn't I pick up? Um, really great to see we're getting some traction in the chat box. So um, let's pick up on one first of all. You mentioned doing it under time conditions. I'm not going to mention the person's name, but I can see a comment from a student we've got this evening saying time limitations or time constraints where I have to sit and do it properly. Dave, I know you've been doing a bit of exploration with the way that you can hopefully carve out some extra study time. What advice would you give to a student that says, I just can't find the time to do the mock under exam conditions? Um, in, in that case, don't. It's, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you cannot find three hours to sit down and do an exam under time, don't. Because, you know, I understand people have busy lives. I understand that most people are working nine to five. We might have families. Um, in the evening, you might only be able to carve out half an hour. At weekends, I know I am on a Saturday taking kids all around the country to various different activities. And I'm not convinced I could find a, a clear three hours to sit down and do an exam. If that is the case, can you get an hour and can you do a third of an exam in that hour? And maybe you could split that exam over maybe one, two, three nights. Okay? And if it's a paper exam, it's easy because you take the first two questions, you do those. If it's an online exam, that's where you need to be a little bit more careful because it might be that once you click go, you've got exactly three hours to do it. So that may be a case of talking or, or, or looking at how you're going to do that mock. If it's a mock that's self-marked, there's no shame in doing that mock two or three times. First time you do it, you do the first three questions. The second time you do it, you do question four, five, six. The third time you do it, you do question seven to ten. So use the time that you have and don't think, oh, because I haven't got three hours, I can't do a three-hour exam. Try breaking it down into individual chunks. I would much, much rather you did that um, than, than you know, put off doing a mock exam because you thought, I'm not able to because of time. Cool. Thank you, Dave. The 
the the time lord amongst us in the group <laughs> that can hopefully help people manage their their time. Another common theme we're getting in the chat box is nerves or fear of failure. Aaron, I don't know if you've got any thoughts for that one. Would the the fear of failing a mock be sufficient reason to put off doing it? Yeah, I think that that's difficult, isn't it? And I, I don't think I've ever come across a student that comes to the end of tuition going, yeah, I'm 100%, I'm ready. I could do the exam tomorrow. You know, that it, we're not expecting that. And I think if you reframed it and said, I'm just doing three questions back to back or I'm doing two questions under time conditions, as opposed to calling it a mock, you, you might feel a little bit different. And I think they point about um, breaking it up if you didn't have the time might get past some of that as well. I, you know, I wouldn't say it's my go to, but I think it, it, you know, the anxiety around the word mock or being the pressure around it. Whereas in class, you might do a question and I, I say, OK, you've got an out of this question. And you know, I, I rarely, if ever, had a student bat an eyelid that says, oh, you know, I, I'm, I can't do this because, you know, it, it sounds too, too pressured. Um, so I think reframing it is, is helpful in seeing you know, that it's it's a, it's just a, a set of questions. It's not a big, big thing. Brilliant. Thank you. And, and I would encourage students not to use that as a reason to hold back. Mm-hmm. I, I would. One of the things that I, I was just thinking there is, as you talk about that time factor, is that if you imagine that, say, you've got a week to study you know, in, a, in a week's worth of study, then do you think you could learn enough material to add an extra five marks to your exam? Pretty confident I could in, in, in yeah. a week. Yeah, I, I think. I, I would set that as a, a very achievable goal. To yeah, that's, that's learning three definitions, how to do one calculation um, and how to explain something. Yeah, but you could learn that in, in a week. So yeah. I, I think we could all probably learn five months worth of stuff in a week. Now, if you did a mock exam today and the exam's tomorrow and you get 30% in that mock, okay, you haven't passed it. You've got one day to get 20 marks. Could you learn 20 marks worth of stuff in a day? Mm-hmm very hard yeah I would say impossible if you took that mock six weeks before your exam and you got 30 marks that's six weeks of learning that's six weeks of five marks that's an extra 30 marks you're picking up that's suddenly 60 marks when you do the exam it's not about the mark you get when you do the mock exam it's about the mock exam identifying the work you need to do and giving yourself the time to do that work to actually get the mark that you want to achieve so the earlier you do the mock the more time you've got to take action based on what happens in that mock. So I would almost think about it as embrace the mark that you get. And it's like, right, if I get 20%, that's really good because it's highlighting these are the areas that I need to work on. You know, if you do a mock exam and you get 100%, that's just telling you you're perfect and you can relax a bit. But I, I would you know, take the opportunity to find out where you need to focus your studies as early as possible. You know, if, if, if I could, you know, if, if, if a student you know, came to you and said, you know, Ben, can you tell me today, 10 weeks before the exam, all the areas that I personally need to focus on to be successful in this exam, they would pay you a fortune for it. Yeah, but you can do it yourself by doing those mock exams and recognising where your strengths and weaknesses are. You're exactly right, Dave. And I recently had a class that I got them to do a mock exam. They grumbled, like most students do really I don't feel ready I don't feel prepared for it I'm gonna fail it 
and I got them all still to do it, submit it. We've marked it. We've given them feedback. And for every single student, when I emailed them back, not only did I give them the score that they had achieved, and I have to be honest, I think I had 22 in the class and only one student passed. Mm -hmm. So that gives confidence to the other 21 that actually most people aren't passing the mock. But what I was able to do is individually go to them and say, this student, you need to find yourself an extra eight marks. Let's work on a plan for that. Where are those eight marks coming? Is there an area that I can identify that you could have hopefully picked up eight marks? What do you need to focus on now? And using it is that constructive. This is where I am now, as, as Aaron said, a baseline. This is where I need to be to pass. And now we can work on uh, a plan. We call that gap analysis, guys, don't we? When we're teaching business strategy, working out the gap between where we are now and where we need to be. Another observation in the chat box, and we've got this from a number of students this evening, is the I don't feel prepared for the mock because I haven't covered all of the chapters in my study material. Dave, you're nodding to that one. What advice would you give to students in that perspective? feeling like they've got to get all the way to chapter 2022. I've now seen everything before I start looking at the real exam mock. Okay. Uh, one, I think it depends on the syllabus you're studying towards. Um, and for example, if, I, if, if I've got someone doing, say, an ACCA exam, I tend to base an ACCA exam on roughly a kind of a 10-week study program. Um, and Roughly halfway through that study program, I would expect the, the mock exams work to start. Now, if I'm looking at something like AAT, where students can set their own exam dates, um, the thing that I tend to do with AAT is I, I do break it down into smaller parts. And I will look at if I've if I've completed, say, four chapters of my study material, I can look at the way that AAT set exams, and I know which questions in the exam will cover that material. And so I would then be starting work on those questions to make sure that I've cemented that area of knowledge. So I would almost be staggering my mocks all the way through. But to me, the important thing is you're doing at least mock questions, okay, as in, a, in those kind of exams. I think something like an ACCA exam where they can ask you questions from different parts of the syllabus and you're not always going to get question one is always about X. Question two is always about B. So I think in those kind of exams, you have to put yourself in a position to be used to, right, what are they going to throw me in question three this time? Because it could be from anywhere in the syllabus. AAT exams, because they're slightly more formulaic in the syllabus areas that are tested, you can break them down a little bit. But I suppose that's where if students wanted to get really constructive, might not replicate the exact format of the exam, but they can still look to do various questions to time that cover the areas that they have so far studied. So if you think about the way we structure our AAT course materials, there will be a task bank. And having done chapters one to five, you might be able to now start looking at the real style exam questions for tasks one and two. And you might even be able to put yourself under time conditions to say, well, if I am going to spread my time evenly over the exam, this is how long I've got. For the ACCA style students, those guys will hopefully have a question bank where we have signposted a question to practice transfer pricing is this or a practice question for group accounts is this. 
So as you're doing the study, you can start doing at least questions under exam timed conditions that will start developing your exam technique and identifying gaps in your knowledge sooner rather than later. Um, another observation we've got in the chat box around reasons not to do mocks or things that people are putting off is a worry that the mocks would not be replicating what the real exams are like. Um, that's a tough one, isn't it? We, we don't know exactly what your real exam will contain. But as Dave said, we've got a rough idea of the structure of the guidance. Um, what's your thoughts on that one? I'll come to Dave first on that one with regards to a mock actually being like the real exam. No one can tell you exactly what's going to be in the real exam and what structure the real exam is. Um, so you, you can't prepare yourself uh, by doing a set of questions and then going into the exam going, I've seen these questions before. Um, but what you can do is you can prepare yourself for dealing with the unknown. And by sitting a question that you haven't looked at before and attempting it as an exam, and the first time you read it is when you sit down to do it, you're preparing yourself for that process of reading a question for the first time, looking at a requirement you've never seen before, trying to work out how to attack it and going through that problem solving process. So you're not rehearsing the exact exam you're doing, but you're rehearsing the behavior that, that you need to display in the exam. You know, and I think that we, we talked a, a while ago in, um, in, these, in these podcasts about it being like playing football where you don't know how the opposition are going to line up and you don't know the tactics that they're going to employ. But what you need to do is focus on your game and practice doing your fundamentals well and then going out in the pitch and actually delivering. And that's what we do in exams is you don't know what the opposition is going to be. That opposition is the examiner, but you can prepare yourself to tackle questions in different ways by putting yourself in those positions you know, when you're training or when you're doing your revision. Aaron, maybe your thoughts on that one. How can students make the mocks feel more like the real exam? Yeah, I think I agree. I'm doubling down on Dave's point there in that um, I think the more variety of questions you do and see, the more likely you're going to go, oh, I've done a question like that before. I don't think the overall mock needs to look the same, but I think the types of questions you might attract or you might have to answer there's, you know, there's only so many that you can do and there might be a, a, the occasional one that looks slightly different. Um, but yeah, as you say, with the, the how you get it most effective, I think, again, time conditions, come back to it. Um, I think using approaches, if you have you know, flashcards of how to approach a certain type of question um, and knowing that you need to keep that approach. I think with my, you know, a lot of my exams that I, I do, they're the answers aren't in the course notes. It's commercially focused. It's, um, it's you know, audit procedures or commercial decisions. You're not going to get that um, by looking in somewhere else. You need to think about the scenario and use whatever is in the scenario rather than feeling like you have to have a massive memory bank of things to remember. Um, and I think the final bit is don't try and seek reassurance. Um, you've mentioned the solutions earlier. Uh, the amount of students that will I'll just have a quick look at the solution. Oh, uh, yeah, okay, that, that is what I was about to write. Um, and getting a reassurance about the format of your answer or the right headings that you've written or anything like that, you're never going to get that in, in the exam. And if you are, <laughs> then there's a problem. 
really interesting way to think about it. Um, the, the old saying is we learn from our mistakes. And I guess if you almost cheat yourself in the mock and don't make those mistakes, you're not doing yourself any favours because you're not learning where you would have maybe slightly gone wrong if you'd done it yourself. Or the other way to think about it is actually your way might have got you enough marks to pass anyway. So it can be a real confidence boost, actually, to say, no, I trust my judgment. When I go into the exam, I'm going to answer it the way I see it. I'm going to pick up, hopefully, some of those scenario clues and link my answer back to the business, the scenario, the other factors that the examiner have tipped me off about in the question. But I'm going to trust my own judgment. Um, I've seen a comment in the chat box about doing it on software. And we know that the modern world that we are in, I think every single exam that we teach for now across all of the syllabuses and all of the qualifications, the real exam is done on a computer. So what's our thoughts about actually doing the mocks on a computer, trying to replicate that as much as possible? Dave, do you want to go first? Yeah, I, I, the, the advice would be wherever possible, you should try and put yourself in the same position you'd be in the exam to get used to the pressure that you'd be under the exam, the way you present it. If you do have to type answers, then it's not it, it, it's much better to understand you know how quickly you can type something under exam conditions. Um, and prepare yourself that way. Now, the only thing that makes me a little, not necessarily hesitant, but the thing that concerns me a little bit about the wholesale move of all the professional qualifications to being computer-based is that there are a lot of people, and particularly um, quite a lot of young people, who don't have the technology to be able to attempt exams and mock exams using that kind of hardware. And that's something that I think is, it's, it's an issue I think with society and it's an issue I think that all the institutes need to come to terms with because at the moment, if you are wealthy and you can afford to have a computer at home, then you've got the resources to do that. Whereas I think it was something like nearly 20% of young people don't have the technology to be able to work from home. And that would extend to being able to study from home in the same way. So I think if you are in that position where you don't have the, the, the technology to be able to do that, the next best thing is going to be to do to do it in a written format. And you know, unfortunately, that may well be the best way to do it. If you are studying as, say, part of an apprenticeship um, and or, or you are studying, say, using first intuition, it's something that it would be worth talking to your first intuition centre about see if there's any way that you are able to do your mock exams using technology at the centre. And, and I'm pretty sure that most of our centres, if they've got the resource and the time, would be would be able to help you there. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, I think the right answer is do it on a computer if you possibly can. But it, it's personally something that I, I wrestle with a little bit. And, and it does concern me that there may well be a, a group of people that are really going to be seriously disadvantaged because they're not able to practice in the same way that you and I are. Um, and you know, a, a, you know, a lot of people, their only access to the internet is on their mobile phone. And try doing an, an ACCA exam, say a, 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 an SBL mock exam, only using your, your, your Samsung smartphone. It's not going to work. So it, it is going to be challenging for, for people that don't have access. But wherever possible, I would always try and do it using the technology 
that you would in the exam? It, it's a really tough situation. And I know everybody is in a slightly different position with that. Um, some thoughts from me on that one. If you are working, maybe ask your employer, is there a computer I could borrow, I could use, I could stay late at work if they won't let you take it home? Public libraries are a great place to go and study. I think I mentioned this on the podcast a few weeks ago. I like to have people around me, and that was my way to get out of the house and go somewhere to do some study. But quite often you'll find your local library might have computer banks that you can go and book a slot for and use the computers, even if it's just Word or Excel to get used to typing an answer as opposed to handwritten it. But but I also am aware that, that that's not possible for everybody. So at least have a go at writing an answer out, if nothing else, because it will get you the thought process of confronting a question, thinking about a structure. As always, we are really up against it for time, but there was um, a couple of other bits I just wanted um, to get some thoughts and feedback on. I suppose the first one is if students are listening to this or here live this evening thinking, where do I go to find a mock? Aaron, what sort of, of mocks are out there and where can students go to access them? I think the qualification you're doing will have mocks. So if you're not, if you're self-study of some sort, um, then the qualification provider, uh, as we mentioned uh, before we started, like AAT's Learning Portal, somewhere like that, will have mock exams on, you know, for every exam, I think they have two mocks um, and there's usually a, a backup one somewhere that someone might have. Um, but if you're, you know, with your provider there, you know, like us, we, we have two, if not up to four, maybe even more mocks um, kicking about. So certainly whoever you're working with will have a mock, um, at least one mock, I'd hope, if not two, uh, that you're studying with. I say that's, the, that's the, the two main places I would go because they're official resources. And I think you make an important point that there are multiple mocks for the subjects you're teaching. So going back to Dave's advice of doing one earlier, don't feel that you are then using up the mock that you haven't got access to more of them further on during your studies. So don't feel that you are effectively wasting a mock if you go and have a look at it earlier. There will be other mocks. There are other sample assessments that you can use later on as you move towards the, the real exam date. Final point on mocks is just about getting some feedback. And so you talked about the looking at model answers, and I would encourage students to not do that while they're doing it, but wait and then look at it after they've completed their attempt. Um, what's your thoughts on marking your own work versus in the ideal situation, I guess, finding someone else that will mark it for you, Aaron? Uh, yeah, I mean, even in some of my courses, I've, I'll use the term, I've put students through this um, where I've, I mean, I've asked them for consent, but I've got them to mark each other's work. Uh, I don't think there's anything sometimes more validating or more reassuring to see someone else's work, um, particularly in the class. So, you know, we use things like Padlet now to be able to see it. But um, yeah, I think marking your own work, being critical about what you've written, but also recognising that the exam solution is a, uh, a lot of time, particularly for written ones, it's a suggested solution. So it's, have you got the same point down have you made it, you know, have you explained it in enough depth? And it's those kind of things. Um, calculations are obviously slightly different, um, but I don't teach as many calculation-based ones. Um, but yeah, I'm reviewing your own work, I think is so, so important. Um, I would agree. My rule of thumb for that one is, 
I would never want a student to instantly go from completing their mock to then marking it moments later. My thought process, you're too close to the question. You're not going to look at it objectively. Your brain is still full of what you think you've written as opposed to what you've actually done. So if you are in the position of having to mark your own work, have a break, make yourself a cup of tea, coffee, watch your favorite show on Netflix for half an hour, and then come back to your work and look at it objectively and think, right, if that's what I was seeing as the external marker, what does it look like? Have I got a volume of points? Is it well laid out? And hopefully you've forgotten a bit about the question so you can now mark it from the perspective of someone reading that script cold. As I said, the ideal is to find somebody else to mark it. And as tutors, we usually set deadlines. The reason for that is we have factored in either ourselves, the time we need to mark it, or we've got external markers that are going to mark it to a set schedule. So if your tutor gives you a deadline for submitting a mock, please, please, please try and work to that deadline because they've set that for a reason. They have either carved out some of their own time to market or they found somebody else externally that will. And nothing is as frustrating as a student, student or from a, a tutor perspective when a student comes to us and says, I missed the deadline, but I've now done it. Can you mark it? I know the wonderful people we work with at FI and we will do our best to get them marked, but we've got other scheduled things that we're doing and it, it takes time to mark. So try and work with your tutor on those deadlines and make sure you meet them as far as possible. Guys, we are out of time as we usually are on a Wednesday night. We've had some phenomenal comments in the chat box this evening. Thank you so much for the live students that have joined us for sharing your thoughts sharing your worries, concerns about mocks, really inspiring each other. I've seen a comment from someone that says tonight they've written their study planner and they're going to get back on to the, 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 the study trail um, and go and pass financial statements. That would be fantastic. Go and get that one smashed out of the park. Dave, I'm going to hand over to you for our final wrap up, if that's OK, and any final thoughts or words. Thanks a lot, Ben. One thing that I would just remind those people that are here today, and I've seen quite a few people talk about the AAT exams. If you are looking for material to help you revise and, and to, to help you kind of do mock exams and then get kind of tutor debriefs, we have got still our free revision courses. So particularly for that person that's doing financial statements, it's, it's a weekly course, um, it's free of charge. Just look on our website, you can sign up and then you can attend those classes. You get some questions, you can practice questions under exam conditions and then see one of our team going through those questions on a week by week basis. So it's a really great resource for those of you that are doing AAT exams. But other than that, we have reached the end of our time. Thank you so much to everyone that's downloaded. We really, really appreciate it. Really great to see that we hit that 30,000 listener milestone this week. So thanks to everyone that has downloaded and listened over the past couple of years. If you do get a chance, if you could like us, share, leave us a review on whatever podcast service you, you use, that would be much, much appreciated. But until next week, stay safe and we will see you then. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you, Aaron. Good night, everyone. The slide with us this evening. Goodbye.